This is the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 140, Concussions and Nervous System Resilience with Bethany Lewis. Welcome to Building Resilience, a podcast where theory, practical strategies, and inspiring stories show you how to unlock your best life. I'm your host, Leah Davidson. As a certified life coach, speech language pathologist, and nervous system resilience expert, it is my mission to teach you how to be more resilient to life's adversities. I will show you how to manage your mind, befriend your nervous system, process your emotions, and even eliminate stress. It's time to do more than just survive. It's time to thrive. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I have a bit of a different episode. I had the chance a few weeks ago to go on the Concussion Coach podcast with host Bethany Lewis. She was interviewing me, but I think we were able to talk about some really important things. So I decided it would be a conversation that you would all enjoy as well. I'm actually dividing it into two episodes this week and then next week. And in the first half, today's episode, we talk all about the nervous system and give a nice overview of what the nervous system is and how it functions. And then next week, we do dive a lot deeper into how it relates to concussions. So let me first introduce Bethany. She is a neurological occupational therapist and a certified life coach through the Life Coach School. She just completed my training in nervous system resilience, which it was so great to have her in the training. She has worked as an occupational therapist since 2009 and has helped hundreds of patients with concussion and other brain injuries through her work at Cognitive FX, which is a cutting-edge concussion clinic in Provo, Utah. During her career, she has seen the effects head injuries can have on people's lives and the lives of those who love them, and has seen people experience healing and recovery from many severe symptoms. She provides tools such as nervous system regulation techniques and intentional thinking that can have enormous impact on recovery and people's well-being. She combines her knowledge of post-concussion symptoms and coaching into a unique and powerful coaching program to help people with lingering concussion symptoms speed up their recovery and take control of their lives. So please enjoy the conversation that I had with Bethany Lewis. Hi friends, you are in for a treat today. I'm so excited to introduce you to Leah Davidson. She is a speech language pathologist and life coach who has also worked closely with people with traumatic brain injuries and concussions. I heard about her when Jody Moore mentioned her on her podcast and talked about the work that Leah does around nervous system resilience, and I was intrigued. I looked her up right then and there, and when I learned more about her, I thought, I need to connect with this girl. I messaged her, and she was kind enough to jump on a call with me, and we had a great conversation about speech and occupational therapies and life coaching and working with people who have brain injuries, and all the things. Leah is awesome and has a wealth of information and knowledge that is fascinating to me and perfectly applicable to my audience and clientele. She teaches a nervous system resilience training course in which I am currently enrolled, and I'm loving the information that I'm learning and I'm applying to my coaching. So be excited for this conversation, people. You're going to walk away with a ton of valuable information and ideas for being more aware of and taking better care of your nervous system. So Leah, thank you so much for being willing to come today and share your knowledge and experience with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Me too. Um, so let's start with a little more background on you. Tell us where you're from and what got you into speech language pathology and working with people with traumatic brain injuries. Well, I am actually located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. 
So um, I have been a speech pathologist for coming up on 25 years, which is kind of scary to me because it kind of feels like yesterday that I just graduated from school. Uh, I actually initially got into it. I have um, from a very young age, I was exposed to the rehab world because I actually have a sister who has cerebral palsy and had all sorts of cognitive challenges. So my younger years were spent in waiting rooms while she was getting OT, PT and SLP. And I remember in grade four, the teacher asking us, what do you want to be? And I wanted to be an OT. And especially at the time, I think the teacher was a what? Which even as you know, now people are like, what OT? What is that? that?" And here I was, you know, writing when I grow up, I want to be an OT. And I wanted to do that pretty much until I hit my college years. And I just decided, nah, I'm tired of all the health stuff. And I went into business and I finished school. I actually went into banking. I worked for a bank for five years until I realized I really don't care what people do with their money at all. (laughs) When I spoke with people, I just wanted, how are your kids? What's going on? So I knew I wanted that personal touch. Um, So I went back to school to be a speech pathologist. And then the rest is history from that perspective. I started working Almost immediately, uh, my final internship, I was in a setting where I was exposed to traumatic brain injury. It was not an area that uh, I did my schooling in Quebec, which is in uh, Montreal, Canada. And at that time, they did not have courses about cognitive communication. And so when I went to my placement, which I did in the U.S., uh, my supervisor was sort of shocked. Like, what do you mean? You don't have any information about cognitive communication. I actually didn't have any information about swallowing either because in Quebec, it's OTs that do the swallowing. Oh, You're interesting. So- yeah. So, and here I was in this placement in Boston doing swallowing and cognitive communication. <laughs> so she literally handed me textbooks and all her notes from her schooling and said, your work's cut out for you. And so I spent that entire internship like day and night trying to learn, but it ended up being amazing because then I took a job in a rehab center. I worked there for five years. And then after I had um, one of my kids, I went into private practice with a, a local practice that specialized completely in traumatic brain injury. And I've been with her for 20 years. Um, oh, wow. So lots of experience um, with that population, love that population, bridging it to traumatic brain injury into life coaching is kind of a funny story too. I probably 10 years ago, I had a client who really wanted to be a life coach. And as you know, part of what we do is we help people get back into their lives. She really wanted to be a life coach. She had signed up for a certification program. We had a rehab support worker. I'm not sure what you guys call them in the US, but it's basically a support worker who would attend the class with her and take notes and help make sure she was pacing herself appropriately. And they backed out and she was devastated because she really wanted to go to this course. And I just said, I'll go. I'll go with you. I think that's kind of cool. So I went and I got certified as a life coach. And it was fun. I started tinkering with different techniques and tools. And I started to see, I was like, some of these tools are really 
really helpful for these clients. So I started diving a little bit deeper into life coaching and eventually came across Jody Moore, uh, only because I was having mom issues, quote unquote, I'll put that now I know it was dysregulation of my nervous system issues, having all these kids. Um, and then I eventually found the life coach school, got certified through there and really started integrating a lot of the tools that I was teaching with my clients and seeing how they married so beautifully. And then as time progressed, I just started realizing, okay, even the tools that I have are not enough. And I really wanted to marry everything that I had been doing the past, you know, 20 years or so with what I was learning came across um, more information about the nervous system. And as I came across information about the nervous system, I realized, oh my gosh, so much of this I've been doing all along. I just didn't realize that's what it was called. And um, just did a much deeper dive in everything related to nervous system. So I would have not just my experience, but have sort of the education that supported it. Mm -hmm. And it brings me to where I am now, where I... I'm passionate about the nervous system. It's my my favorite thing to talk about, as you know. And I just love how it goes hand in hand with mindset work and hand in hand with really the work that you and I both do in cognitive work, cognitive communication, even physical. It just it the nervous system is a foundation for everything that we do. Yes, it ties into all of it. That's awesome. I love your story. I love how it all has come together <laughs> and where you're at now. It's so exciting. Yeah. Um, And so what other trainings or certifications have you ended up pursuing? So I also am a professional resilience coach and consultant. And essentially along my journey, coming across things like burnout and compassion fatigue, because as you know, working with in any helping profession, it's kind of impossible that you don't burn out. It's kind of an occupational hazard. So I came across a program and um, spent a year training in that program to help other healthcare professionals deal with their compassion fatigue and burnout, which is part of my training and nervous system resilience that you're taking that we'll get to. (laughs) We're getting to that part eventually. I have done a lot of work in the area of trauma. So I've done some certificates for, you know, trauma-informed health and wellness, trauma specialist. I have done certificates in breath work and EFT, emotional freedom technique, tapping, because again, those things are great for nervous system regulation. And then I've also done um, a few courses on chronic pain and chronic illness, including being certified in pain reprocessing therapy, which that is very relevant as, as you know, for our population with brain injury. So a lot, I'm always trying to add to you know, a lot of the clients, they have PTSD. So I want to dive more into trauma and they have challenges with the nervous system. So all those things, you know, pain, chronic pain and illnesses, anxiety, depression, these are all things. So I'm always trying to up level my education around all those things. I love to learn. It's like oh. my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I'm so with you. Yes. This is why you are like one of my favorite people. Cause it's like, you're, you are learning and loving all of the things that I'm super interested in as well. And so I love that you're just this wealth of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Been to. So thank you for all okay. you learned and the suggestions that you'll have. I'm definitely super interested in pursuing a lot of those things that you mentioned as well. So 
So excited yeah. about it. So, and the, the class that you're teaching, which I absolutely love and would recommend to everybody, <laughs> but there are so many topics that you've covered that I would just love to dive into more with you. But since we're limited on time today, <laughs> I will try really hard to narrow it down and I've decided to just focus on the nervous system. We need the foundation mm-hmm. here. So can you give us a broad overview of the nervous system, what it is and why should people care to know about it? For sure. So the nervous system is essentially it's your brain, your spinal cord, and all the nerve connections. It is how your mind and your body communicate with each other. So that's why it's so important because the mind and body are not separate. They are connected. And without making it really too complicated, sometimes it can seem overwhelming, but it comes down to just fundamental basics. Your brain is constantly on the lookout for safety or danger. It's scanning all the time. It's looking for cues of safety and danger, and it is picking up on the cues around you. So what's going on in your environment, it's picking up on what's happening inside your body, and it's picking up on what's happening relationally. So in between all the people. And what it does then is it picks up on these cues and it takes in everything. And based on what it perceives, And that's interesting because it's not what's actually happening. It's what it perceives. It actually assigns a state of connection or protection. So it's scanning. It's like danger, safety, danger, safety. If it comes across safety, then it sends you into one state, which we can talk about in a second. If it finds danger, it wants to protect you. So then all of a sudden it's going to kick its protection gear and keep going through that. Now, what's really important about understanding about the nervous system, and I find it so freeing to know, it is not a choice. It's not a cognitive process. It's not like an option. Press one if you want to go here. Press two if you want to go here. It is biology. Your biology is responding. You're not thinking. You're not choosing. It's not under our conscious control. This is sort of the behind the scenes and what is happening. So it's picking up on all these cues, which is something called neuroception, which we've talked about in the course. And that's essentially, it's a term that's coined by Stephen Porges. He is the creator of a very popular neuroscience theory called polyvagal theory. And neuroception, neuro means brain, perception, like perception, just says it's what's happening under conscious control. You can almost think of it as like your spidey senses. Like sometimes you just, you know, oh, you're, you, you pick up on cues. Like, is this safe for me? Is this dangerous for me? So if we hit safety, the safe state, what happens is I call it the state of resilience, basically where you just feel like you're at home. It's a place of connection. It is a place where you sort of just feel comfortable. You are able to connect with others. You're creative. You're confident. You're calm. And this is where we make things happen. We can process our emotions in a really healthy way here. We are open to guidance. We're open to inspiration. We're resilient to our challenges. Now we have our ups and downs, but we are safe. And in the autonomic nervous system, we call this the parasympathetic nervous system. And then in that polyvagal theory that I mentioned earlier, it it is called safe and social zone. So this is where we go when we feel that we are safe. That's also where we like have access to our higher thinking brain as well, right? Like we can. Yes. Yeah. And that is crucial to understand, to, to access to our higher thinking there. 
the safe and social zone is sometimes also called the ventral vagal state. And they call it the ventral vagal state because of the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is basically a collection of nerve fibers that go from your brainstem all the way, sort of wanders through. That's why it's called vagus, wanders through your body. It has branches off to the face, branches off to the heart, ends up in your pelvic region. And that is the main feedback loop between the brain and the body, how it communicates. So if your brain and your nervous system picks up that everything's safe, it's like, great, we're staying in this safe and social, we're going to connect. Now, if it senses threat, it's going to do something because the main goal of your nervous system is really like, it's about survival. So it will start to mobilize you and puts you into something that's called the sympathetic state. You probably have heard of it, fight, flight, and freeze. I call it working with team hyper because you are hyper aroused and it's an amazing state. We want this state because when we are in actual danger, we need to react quickly without thinking. So we will first try to mobilize and protect ourselves by going in this state and all sorts of things happen in this state where we are heartbeat. We are able to move more quickly But there's also a whole change of physiology, which we'll talk about in a bit that cascades down to what our thoughts are and what our feelings are and so forth. So we get signs of danger. We're bumped up into this activated state. We try our best to fight or flee from it. We try our best to do something. If that doesn't work, our nervous system, it's like it has a conversation. It's like, you know, this is not working out and we're getting really exhausted here. We're going to have to shut down and conserve energy. Mm-hmm. And so we drop down into a lower state, a shutdown state, so we can conserve this energy. And this is called, I call it team hypo. And it's basically where we are hypo aroused. We are conserving energy there. It is a protection. A shutdown is an immobilized state. This is actually another branch of our parasympathetic system, and it's called the dorsal vagal state with that polyvagal theory, which, and I refer to it for simplicity, I do the team hypo. Now, what is so important about both team hyper and team hypo, those are your choices when danger, is we will be able to go there and be there but we will not have access to our thinking skills when we are in those states. Mm, And that's when the problem happens essentially. Right. And, And think about it logically. Like think when you are feeling stressed out and you are feeling maybe very threatened and, and you, you start to have the symptoms. When I ask people like what happens to you, a lot of people say my heart, my breathing changes, my hands are sweating. And then they usually say things like, I just can't think straight. And I try to say something and either the words don't come out or the words are all jumbled or, and I get all flustered. And then I'm just like, okay, forget it. So they're just describing. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't have access to your thinking skills when you are in those two different states, but it's not a choice. And and that's what you want to keep reminding yourself. This is just physiology. This is, this is like your nervous system is trying to protect you. And when you're in danger, it is going to try to protect you by getting away from danger or by almost like shutting down, playing dead from the danger. And it's meant to work that way. You're just not meant to stay in those states. And as we've seen, problems happen when we do end up staying in those states. 
Yeah, I love the the point about how it's physiology and not a conscious choice. It doesn't mean that you're crazy or lazy or mm. whatever. It's no, there's no judgment or morality right. tied to it. It's just you're a human yeah. having human experiences. This is how your right. body is responding. And a lot of people will say like, well, I just feel so. And they'll, they'll even say like, I just feel so stupid. Like I, I didn't know why didn't I say that? Or, you know, they said that to me and then I walked off later on and I thought, oh, I should have responded this. Just physiology, your nervous system kicked in and you lost access to, you know, I call her your CEO, which is your thinking skills. You lost access to your CEO because she's not around when you're in those states. It's not like you lack intelligence. It's not a moral thing. It's not anything to be ashamed of. That's just the way your physiology responds. And it's supposed to respond that way. Yes. And I think too, it's, it's, knowing that can allow you to have so much grace for yourself and then having that love and acceptance for yourself allows you to move past it right like exactly. then you can you can learn what to do if you don't want to stay in those states which That's right. yeah you yeah <laughs> so, and yeah. you can have compassion for others so yeah. when you see other people are maybe overreacting and and in each state like i mentioned earlier when you're in team hyper or team hypo in each state, there is sort of a, I call it a landscape of what things look like. So there are certain emotions, there are certain actions, there's certain postures, there's certain ways that you breathe when you are in that state. When you're in a hyper aroused state, if you are more in the fight area, you're probably going to be have more anger and frustration and irritability. If you are in more of the flight, you may see more anxiety a more chronic busyness, more worry, more uh, hypervigilance. So, and then if you come down to team hypo, you're going to see flavors of like hopelessness and helplessness and feeling like a victim and feeling overwhelmed. And then frankly, just burnt out. That's where burnout lives when you're in that, that team hypo. So each state brings along with it a certain like, tint that everything is going to be painted that color when you are living in that state. Yes. Yes. Can you share, I love your analogy of, um, or the example of how, how that lens changes how you see everything and how you respond to things. Like you'll be more defensive in one or like, that's right. Can you share that example? So the sim, I have a couple of stories just because so many times in your life, you realize, oh, that's just my lens. But the simple basic one I always talk about is if somebody is asking me where I get my hair done. And if I am on team hyper, which means that I'm going to be more activated, probably more defensive, maybe a bit more edgy. So if they say, Leah, where'd you get your hair done? I might respond with something like, why? Why do you want to know where I get my hair done? What, you don't like it? Like, there's nothing wrong with my hair. You know, so judgmental. Because that's the flavor that I'm seeing everything. That's the tint. That's the lens that I'm wearing. Now, if I'm in team hypo, I may say something like, oh my gosh, I know it's terrible, isn't it? Like, I am so embarrassed by it. I don't want to tell you where I got my hair done. And then if I am in that team resilient, I'd be like, sure, I get it done at this location with this person. I've been going there for 20 years and there'd be no meaning to it. And we always have three different ways that we can tell a story. And often when I have clients come in, just by the flavor of their story, I can tell what state they're in. Mm. And same thing with my kids. Like when my kids call me up, we have um, a blended family of five kids and we're just about to be empty nesters. So they're all 
out. So sometimes they'll call. And within a few seconds, I can tell based on, you know, like, oh, I'm having a really bad day today. I didn't do well on my test. And then this happened or, and I'm just like, they're on team hypo. Or, you know, I'll say something like, um, you know, I haven't heard from you in a while, (laughs) which is a common thing to say. And if one of my kids breaks out with the like, well, I know I've been busy, like, you know, I can sense, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I don't have to be offended by it. He's not being mean to mom, Mm -hmm. his nervous system. Okay, but what's going on? Sounds like maybe you're having a rough time. I don't have to make it about me. I understand that it's his nervous system that is creating that activity. So it's really helpful when you realize that there's different lenses, because that means you have different stories that you can, you can pick up on. Yes. And I love that it allows you access to compassion for other people when you see that. And I think it probably helps to have that compassion when you are in your zone of resilience. Yes. <laughs> so yes. how, how can we grow that zone of resilience? How do we, how do we get there? Well, and that's the thing, resilience it can be grown. It's it's not a make it or break it. However, that being said, that middle zone of resilience, there are a lot of things that do function. We'll talk in a second about how to grow it. But I just want to mention that there are things that naturally shrink our zone. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to think of a general idea. You know, both you and I are moms. Think of when, and you you are in the, the crux of having youngins. But when your kids are young and they're super demanding and you get no sleep, okay. how much patience are you going to have the next day with them? Very, very little patience. Very, very little patience. Your window of tolerance, this zone of resilience, it is going to shrink when you don't have things that will support it. So when people are struggling with pain, with fatigue, with lots of challenges in life, their zone will shrink. We know, especially if people have had trauma in their life, and whether it be um, trauma from childhood, just everyday trauma, because we have all experienced trauma, because trauma is not the event, it's what happens to the person. Or maybe they have had an accident or an injury. When these things happen, our zone shrinks and it gets smaller and smaller, which means that it doesn't take much for us to get activated. And so somebody may say something to us. And when we are pain-free and we've had a lot of rest, we've just come back on vacation, we probably have a lot of room that we have like a, a long thread that, you know, we're quite patient and we can answer. But if we have pain, If we're exhausted, if maybe we've been experiencing, you know, challenges, past traumas come up, we may have like almost no room at all. Mm -hmm. And so we will quickly leave that zone and we will be activated. So that zone can grow and it can shrink. We want it to grow because we want to spend as much time as possible in that zone. And so we want it to be as wide as possible when we are there. And that zone is a zone of safety. And so how do we grow it? Well, we need to train ourselves to feel more safe, which kind of sounds funny, but we need to find ways that we can um, invite safety into our life. And that will look very different for many people, but there are a couple fundamental things. 
I talk about five main pillars for your physical and your mental health. And this is, I know that you have a lot of clients who, who have concussions. And I talk about these with, with my clients as well, because if you don't have the five main pillars that are supporting this safety zone, then when you come to me and as a speech pathologist, and they're saying something like, I really have a hard time reading, or I'm having a hard time with memory. I have a hard time with word finding. Give me a strategy. I'm like, I can't give you a strategy before we look at the foundational things Mm. to make sure that you're growing your zone. So the foundational things are sleep. That is, and, and of course, that's a huge challenge for a lot of people after they've had a concussion is their sleep gets out of whack. Okay. Well, we need to start working on how can we get more consistent, more regular sleep, whether that be that they have to do something. If there's medical management that you've seen a doctor, you've done a sleep study, or it's just about sleep hygiene. It's just about routine, or it's about mindset and nervous system regulation work. So it's all these things we want to explore. We want to talk about movement and movement is crucial for everybody. These five pillars are crucial for everybody, not just people who have had injuries. So movement, getting the appropriate sunlight and daylight, which again, can be can be hard for people after concussions because they have a lot of those visual challenges where you know they they don't lights bother them. Sunlight is still important to get. Nutrition, making sure that you're getting that proper nutrition and then connection, which is just having those support people around you, whether that be your family, friends, or maybe it's a rehab team that you have. So you have to have those five pillars. That's where we start to grow our zone. When we are working, you don't have to have them perfectly, but when you're working on those five pillars, that's going to start growing your zone. And then you're going to kick it up a notch and say, okay, what else can I do? And that's where I'd like to introduce with my clients different breathing exercises to help with relaxation, because we know a lot of people when they're dysregulated, they first go up to that team hyper. Team hyper means you're going to be very, very tense and very stressed and very tight And you need to learn how to down-regulate yourself. And we do that by focusing on the exhalation. So I teach some techniques about that. Part of building a, a bigger zone is trying to help reset your stress cycle is what we call it. On a daily basis, every day, sort of your stress levels are going up and up just by nature of the ups and downs of life. Well, at the end of every day, it's like you have to refill your pitcher. You have to make sure that you have enough water. And we do that through exercise and creative expression and meditation. These are all things that you can do that are basically refueling you. Anything that refuels you is going to grow that zone. And then after there's things that help you feel safer. So connecting with people um, affection, laughter, that social piece. And then we also can actually push the limits and really try to grow by challenging ourselves. And so when we're in that zone of safety, we can sometimes do things like set a hard goal and push ourselves to do things. And then there's actual things that we can do to push our nervous system 
high intensity training, cold water exposure, and then um, something called the non-sleep deep rest, which Andrew Huberman talks about on his podcast, which is basically a, a, a way of resting your body throughout the day. All those things will help grow that zone of safety. Awesome. Oh, that's There's so many good things <laughs> that we could just dive into so many. Um, but one of the things that came up in my mind as you're talking was with that, the connection piece, which I think is one of those five pillars, but it's also one of the things that can grow the the yeah. zone of resilience there is both, yeah. connection with yourself and with other people and with a higher power. And I think with, you know, with animals as well, like people can yeah. get a lot of peace <laughs> from Absolutely. and help on their system, like, yeah, snuggling a dog or whatever. Yeah. That's why they have so many support animals now. You know, a lot of, a lot of people having animals, there's no demands on you. So a lot of people love to have animals and there's, you know, it's calming to stroke them, to hug them. They're excited to see you. So connection with, yeah, for sure. Connection with nature as well is, is another big one that, that people can have. They've done so many studies of the benefits of, of nature and being in nature. And if you can combine things like, you know, going for a walk in nature, you're combining the movement with the social, with the nature, you know, you're sort of stacking these things and that's the best way to do that. Yeah. And I love how all of these things, like there's so many things that everybody I think knows or has experienced or like we hear from different sources, like this is something that you can do to help calm your system. This is something you can do. And it, I love that this just kind of ties it all together. It gives a framework for understanding why why all of these different things are so helpful by having yeah. a hobby and something that you love to do. Yeah. That, yeah creative exactly. Stuff. Yeah. It all ties together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are there specific strategies? So you talked about breathing. There's a lot of good information about how to get from team hyper back to the zone of resilience. Are there specific things that you recommend for team hypo when you're feeling down and want to get back up? Team hypo, when you are down there, there is that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And um, it is a place that a lot of people describe as being lonely. And to be honest, it, it's hard to be down there. So if you are down there or you have a loved one who, who's down there, it is very slow moving. It does not help to be like, come on, get going, go outside and go for a run. Although, you know, initially I know with concussions at the beginning, they do want to put you on a protocol where you're doing exercise. But when somebody is really in that hypo zone, it is all about being gentle and kind and slow movement. Some people will really need what we call co-regulation, which is they need another person to be doing the things with them. So if you find you are in team hypo, it would be beneficial to find somebody who you find is compassionate and you can connect with that you feel safe with and doing things alongside them that can help you. It's almost like somebody reaching down and giving you a hand and not necessarily pulling you up and making making you go walking, but reaching down and sometimes just giving you a hand and holding your hand through that period of time. Mm-hmm. Team hypo also, when you're ready, you may want to start introducing activated breathing where you're trying to get yourself going. It depends on how low you are in that team hypo. Because if you're just really tired or exhausted and you're in that lower state, it may help 
where you start doing something that is more active and you get, you know, like rubbing your arms and doing some activated breathing, focusing on the inhalation because that will get you going. So it sort of depends on what state you're in. You do want to function, move from that state slower paced because you are, um, I heard someone giving the analogy of a turtle who is like in the shell when you want the turtle to poke his head out, you're not going to shake the turtle shell and say, come on, poke your head out. You're going to be very gentle. You're going to try to, you know, coax and lure and be, you know, soothing voice. And that's kind of how we want to treat ourselves and others when they're in team hypo is we don't want to shake them like the turtle and say, what's wrong with you? Get out, snap out of it. You know, you've got lots to look forward to. We we don't want to be doing that because that's really just going to cause people to retreat even more and just feel completely like unsupported and, and nobody understands, pushes them further into reinforcing that hypo state. That's a really good analogy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who, who said it, but it, when I read it, I was like, oh, I get that. Like, I totally understand that. Yeah, that is a good one. And I, I remember you talking too about since movement seems so overwhelming and so hard, sometimes even just visualizing the movement. Exactly. Yeah. Just thing. imagining it. Yeah. Yeah. That may be all the system can take initially. We're trying to do baby steps. And so sometimes it is just, okay, let's just imagine you doing that. And then let's, then we gradually move from there. And sometimes that's all a person can take, but that is still progress. We're still, we're still moving forward with that. That's a bit of my conversation with Bethany Lewis, a bit of a crash course on the nervous system, the zones, how we grow our zone of resilience and what to do when we find ourselves in team hypo. Next week, we will continue the conversation talking about what to do when you are on team hyper. Have a great rest of the week and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.